0: This is the TPM Podcast, a show where we talk to the best and brightest across all industries and sectors, from CEOs to COOs, marketing execs to service delivery, and all in between. My name is Sean Price, and I'm the CEO of Velez Managed Services, and this is the TPM Podcast. this week's episode we have Steve Studley quite rightly still remains to be a British citizen but having lived in the US for many years now and has come up in the ranks through officer training in the Armed Forces in the UK to moving abroad and identifying niche markets in the IT sector where he came up as a field technician came management ultimately taking over the company as CEO we get to hear about Steve's journey through life personal business and understanding what it takes to become a CEO of a company. This is Steve Studley
1: from Trident Computers. Hey, good morning, Sean. How are you doing? Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, mate, yeah. This is the first time I've done anything recorded like this, mate, so you'll have to sort of guide me me through. Well, you know, I've done a
0: load of podcasts over the years, right? Yeah. I've always been, like, pulled into doing and you know me; I, it's not that I like attention, but <laughs> yeah, I know, and I ain't judging. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've done I've done a shedload of these things over over the lockdown period. Some some are out, some aren't out yet. And I just figured, you know, like we we I got so many good people in my network.
1: Um, you know, wh- why not take advantage of that, right? Yeah, yeah and and you know, it, it's it's something you can be doing you know, in the absence of, you know, I, I think you'll agree with this a hundred percent. The reason why my business is going all right right now is because as a fruit of the shoe leather we've put in on the front end. And, you know, you work much in the same way, the, the people you go see, the time you spend with people and those relationships now are running on rails, you know, on autopilot because of the work you put in, but it, you know, it, You've got to keep something going, you know. Well, look, I know, I know you don't use LinkedIn all that much, right? I know no, I don't. No, I'm not, I'm not too terribly really, good at that. Yeah,
0: so I, I sent this email out and I took a screen grab and put it on LinkedIn, right? And it was a screen, it was an email to the whole staff, and we've done super well. We've hired like 38 people since lockdown, right? So oh, wow. we've, done, we've done pretty good there. Yeah. And um, the email said, you know, the UK's announced we're in the recession for the first time in 11 years, rah, 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 rah. And it was as a management team, we have decided not to participate in this recession. <laughs> but, but it's just like what you said there with the clients. It's what you've built up, it's that leverage, it's that that buffer you've built up. Built it is up, a buffer. Yeah. I built that up with the team. They've got great confidence. We furloughed nobody, right? Yeah. We've got great confidence there. Our clients, yeah, it sucks. We can't jump on a plane and, you know, I did 70 something flights last year for
1: yep. international.
0: This year, I did than 18 right but Mm -hmm. most of them to jan and feb when i was out in the u.s so you know yeah we've got those relationships and yeah you've got the people but you know like what else can you do except from
1: jump on a call yeah capture it
0: yeah and i mean i know you've got a fancy mic there i've got a fancy mic here right yeah
1: i i didn't know if that should be in shot or out of shot i I literally just borrowed it off my wife she wants it back at 10 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock
0: yeah so i mean it looks sum really, to what we've got here was she's a yeti mic so uh, so the
1: misses has got the whole lights and a camera that's apart from the laptop and stuff and she has a separate device that she can read scripts from uh, but keeps her eye level up to the camera so it looks like she's looking well, at the camera let, let's use
0: that as a little pre intro then like <laughs> who is your wife <laughs> <laughs> what
1: is she doing? Yeah. she's a true celebrity of the uh, of the family. Um, currently, she's working as the CEO of Virginia Public Media. So um, public media in the US, the equivalent of the regional BBC, if you will. And so she runs the public media for all of uh, Virginia across the state of Virginia, um, including the three major towns across across the width of Virginia. And, and that includes the TV and the radio as well. So NPR and PBS are the brands you that american listeners would have heard of um they're all divided down into regional regional uh uh stations yeah so she ha- essentially has three tv stations and i think six radio frequencies under her uh control so you are the
0: uh not the kept man, but you're, you're, you're not, you're not important in that
1: household. (laughs) Ah, Well, now here's the, here's the difference. She, she, she works her tail off and has 150 employees, but at the end of the day, it's a a not-for-profit venture. So, uh, you know, we're in a commercial sector and uh, our, uh, you know, whilst we work hard for our money, you know, we, our, our emphasis is different. We run business, you know, she runs a business, but we run a for-profit business how did you meet your wife? Um, We met while I was uh, on secondment in France. I was working for the French military. Uh, I was actually in the Royal Navy, the British Navy, sent out to France to uh, work with them. And uh, she was taking a sabbatical from CNN at the time. Um, And she'd been working in Atlanta with CNN, took took some time off uh, because she she hadn't done after college. And uh, we met then. So give me the background of Steve Studley, because,
0: you know, clearly <laughs> you, you're calling him from the U.S., you, you sure as hell don't have a U.S. accent.
1: That is correct. So
0: g- give me the rundown. Where, where were you born? What did you do? How did you get to, uh, you know, more or less where you are today?
1: Yeah, the gallop through. Um, so I was born in Devon, in the southwest of England, uh, the son of a, a fairly itinerant farm hand, if you will. Um, We lived on several different farms and ended up on a pig farm in Somerset. Uh, Right through to my teenage years, uh, grew up in Somerset. At the earliest juncture, I uh, joined the Navy, um, decided I didn't want to be a pig farmer.
0: (laughs) How old old were you joined the Navy then?
1: Um, I was actually selected at 16. Um, They held me off. I was originally going to go in as an enlisted man and they decided that uh, my academics were strong enough for me to take a shot at being an officer candidate. Oh. So uh, under some very good guidance and mentorship, they held me at Sixth Form College on a reserved place for the officer college. Um, and so as soon as I finished at Sixth Form College, they sent me to Dartmouth, and I turned 18 by that stage. So at 16, they identified you were a leadership quality. Yes, yeah, I I did pass the AIB at 16 years old, which is oh. fairly rare. The average age of my intake when I joined the Navy was 26. Um, wow. A post-grad, you know, uh, you know, people, a lot of uh, people with, with college degrees um, and a very small contingent of what was called back then schoolboy midshipmen. Um, the labor market is such that the, I don't think they do a lot of that anymore, but they did find back then that the retention rate for schoolboy midshipmen was far higher than people with college degrees, who, when the going got tough, had the option to go and get that job at, you know, ICI Chemicals or or wherever, you know, British Aerospace or wherever it was they were interviewing for as well. Whereas uh, a schoolboy schoolboy entrance didn't have a whole lot of choice, so we got on with it <laughs> and stuck it out.
0: Uh, um, I
1: spent ten years in the navy. Uh, fantastic experience. Um, an am- amazing leadership training um, left at the junk uh, really a pure crossroads of my career. It was a kind of stay in now and finish your 22 and and forever hold your peace or leave now while you're still young enough to have a chance. And obviously it, at uh, 28, 29 years old, I had a chance to do something else. Cool. I worked as a civilian contractor for two years or pretty much all over the world um, in the landmine and battlefield area clearance uh uh sector so in the navy i specialized as a diver i was a um uh, a bomb disposal officer if you will and so um when i came out those skills found me the work found me and i was hired as a contractor um working on landmine clearance and uh, ordnance clearance projects around the world toughed that out for two years um lucrative but itinerant, I've used that word already, but I, I, yeah. a very itinerant uh, uh, way of life. My fiance, now my wife and I were still dating, so we uh, we were making airlines and phone companies rich. and uh, this was before Skype and Zoom. Uh, so we uh, decided to uh, pick one side of the other and uh, that wasn't much of a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> my wife having a, a a a great career at that stage, she was working. At the time for fox sports which is a uh, a major sports network network over here in the states and then later on for madison square garden um wow. in new york and uh the conversation went something like do you want to come over to america we'll get married and i said sure <laughs> <laughs> that was 16 years ago um, over i came i took my first job in the states as a sales job for pitney Bowes. i sold photocopiers the Pitney Bowers, which is a major office, uh, hardware supplies company for, um, they used to make, uh, they made their money on mailing machines for, for us business household name, essentially, or was a household name, kind of like the same way as Kodak went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, had great sales training for them. Toughed uh, toughed that out for 18 months, two years, very low wages, but a, a good margin of success. I was good at selling photocopiers and then, Really, through a lucky break, uh, a friend of a family got me an interview with uh, uh, with Trident. Um, I became a salesperson for Trident. Uh, sort of worked my way, well, not up in the organization, but worked for Trident for, for nearly 12 years before the owner, who uh, had sort of painted himself in... Well, the, the owner was looking for an exit strategy and... Uh, offered me to buy the company um which was a, a great opportunity
0: So what um, was the size of trident at that point in time
1: yeah so the the the, the top end revenue was at about six and a half, half 6.7 million um that was four years ago um yeah um we've come a long way since then yeah, um, this, this year we're going to close out at just short. Um, we might even breach it. Um, it's going to be about 8.8, 8.9. We may even get to uh, 9 million this year. At so top, what,
0: does, at top what does Trident do then? Trident,
1: know, like, Trident yeah, do? Trident's a, uh, a fairly well-established computer service company uh, specializes in break-fix, and that's really been the core mission of the company. That said, over the years... You get good, loyal customers. You, you tend to branch out within the customers and do more for them. Um, so we, 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 we used to specialize uh, in Sun. That was really where the company was founded you know, in my early days. Uh, Sun Microsystems has gone away. We're cross-platform. Sun, HP, IBM, and Dell, um, as I said, focused on the break-fix. But we do a fair amount of what could be deemed as managed services for some of our larger established customers. Um, We have a big presence in the gaming industry and also in the financial sector, um, just through verticals, referrals, cross-pollination of people.
0: Do you see any um, relation between what you did in the Navy versus what you get to do now? Because I mean, I, I know an awful lot of people that have come out of the forces, again, like yourself in that officer position that have, I don't want to say walked into senior leadership positions, but have found it very easy to make that sort of crossover into the commercial world?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think first and foremost, it starts with confidence. You're, you know, and it has its its, uh, quirky side effects, but as a schoolboy of 18, 19 years old, and you're being thrust to the forefront to lead men that, are really quite old enough to be your your father. Um, the first thing they do is boost you with confidence, or they want to see confidence, you know. And and they teach you that no one wants a shaky leader out front. You know, people will follow people over a cliff if if they appear that they know what they're doing. So it starts with confidence. Some of the things that I have taken into business are they're kind of fun, quirky things, but they work. Um, one of the one of the the weaknesses I I identified in Trident when I first took it on was it was very much a small business. Uh, Certain key roles had people's first names attached to them. Yeah. And when someone's first name is being used repetitively behind a key function, oh, Frank isn't in this week, so that can't be done. I saw that as a massive vulnerability and I likened it to... Uh, a warship if you will a royal navy warship a u.s navy warship has to be able to survive multiple calamities if you will within the warship there's no one to call for help so if an engine room catches fire you've got to be able to contain that fire and carry on being afloat or quite literally your sink uh and while that engine room's on fire you may hit something in the water, which causes a hole somewhere else. And you've got to be able to contain that. And so I tried to build, um, you know, I used to tease my people. I used to build battle resilient resiliency and, uh, damage control into the business. And, and, and that started with a very simple process of identifying key roles and making sure they were doubled up on making sure that there was adequate cover for when someone went on vacation. Um, that nicely dovetails talking about vacation and, and, and paid time off into the, 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 the bad side side effect of that, that over-dependency on, on key people is those key people are now dreading going on vacation and they're dreading coming back. The two worst weeks of the calendar for them are before they go and when they get back and that shouldn't be the case. Your, your key workers who you're trying to protect the very reason why you're sending them on leave in the first place uh, to relax, well, they sh- that shouldn't be stressful. So the, the, the coverage that we put in place really had to be adequate and robust so that the person can pick up their, their things on a Friday, walk, walk out of that door and not come back for a week and not worry about it and not be ha- uh, hounded on their, on, on their, in their absence. So that was one of the first things we did, a real a structural overhaul of of key roles and personnel and build in that that resiliency that damage control if you will that uh, that i'd sort of borrowed from my my days at sea um so that was a an interesting exercise
0: well, it's interesting because i, I mean i <clears throat> i was reading something uh, recently about how we went from having what used to be a seven-day work week right down mm-hmm. to down to five and there are there are obviously companies that are trying the whole four-day work week now yeah. and and what that looks like, and I was reading as to why we went from seven to sort of five. And it was, you know, at some point in time, for whatever reason, a day was given off, and then workers were using that day to get drunk and coming in the next day, can go over. And so, yeah. you know, titans of industry then said, Well, let's expand it to two days off, but you get two days off on the basis that you don't get drunk on the Sunday, right? That, right. Like, that was kind of the rationale behind it, very much so. Um, you know, one, one of the things that you mentioned there about having that resilience and allowing people to take their time off. I know in the past um, you know in my history and, and you know some of the things I've done, I could not take a day off sure. I could I couldn't do it And to some degree even now in the in the last two years I've had five days off um, you know the weekends I kind of take off but'm I'm, I'm still there, right? Yeah. I've had five days off in the last two years, and it's something I'm working on. And my problem is, I'll book the day off, and then I'll cancel it the day before because I'll still have that yeah. inherent guilt about not yeah. going in.
1: Sure, so and thought- that, and I think that is is you know we we talk about protecting our people in key roles, but that's also uh, a byproduct of good leadership. And again, going back to that that ship at sea analogy, and it doesn't you know, matter if it's a warship or a merchant ship. All roads and all the ch- whole chain of command, all decisions lead back to the captain of that vessel. He may have, you know, uh, masters ashore to answer to or a company or, or, you know, a higher chain of command ashore liken that to our customers. You know, we, we ultimately a- answer to our customers. But the skipper, the captain is always on that vessel. Now, can he work 24 seven days a week as that vessel steams across the world? No, he can't. He has to be able to go and sleep. He has to be able to go and eat his meals and do other other things, you know. So I liken our roles as it sounds cheesy, but the captains of our of our vessels. Yes, we're always on call. Yes, we're always there. We're always present. There's no getting away. You, no. you can't lock the door and tell and tell whoever you know, the the on duty watchman that you don't want to hear from him that. We have an iceberg three miles off the off the port bow. You know, it, it, one of the one of the astonishing things I you know as a junior watchkeeper when I first went to sea was the fact that under certain situations, when a vessel came too close or you know various other criteria, you had to call the skipper and the skipper had to pick up the microphone right next to his bed. And take a report. Now those, you know, there there were things that helped ease that, and we can we can borrow elements of this for for industry and for for our business. Those reports, you're talking to the man at three in the morning. He's just woken up for the fourth time that night to take your report. It helps if that report is standardised. He doesn't want to hear waffle, waffle, waffle. Yes, no, maybe. I think. I believe. I hope. He doesn't want to hear that. He wants to look at data. Well, he wants to hear in this case, data and a standardized report. And I've borrowed that tenant and, and, and good leaders, I think, can borrow that, that tenant to encourage your people when they come to you. Uh, you know, I don't want a, a carpet dance in front of me and, and, a, and a whole woolly case. If, if what you really are saying is that you need another employee in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a set area, come to me with the data, show me, standardize it, make it, make it snappy. Well, not necessarily snappy, but certainly, you know, standardised well, somehow.
0: It's, I think standardised is, is the, the correct response there. You know, you don't want to say get to the point, but it's kind of get to the right, point, right? Right. Um, and I know a conversation that I had with a mutual friend of ours, Dwight uh, Dwight Strayer yep. from Service Express. I remember him explaining that when he first took up a, a rather senior position, he was answering every question that came to him because he knew all Absolutely. the answers. So you answer them. Absolutely. It, and eventually you have to push back and go, go and find the answer yourself right? and come back to me if you need further clarification yeah and it's kind of that with those reports right it's give it to me but don't give me everything and anything if you can process that information Have it prepared. yeah you yeah know? so you, yeah. You, you talked about it briefly there and you know are you are you the CEO that is spending six months a year on a golf course somewhere are you <laughs> are you in the business every day on the on the battlefront How do you run your business and how do you look at things like, Work-life balance, or as I always refer to it, work-life integration.
1: Yeah, yeah. So a, 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 a unique thing, I suppose, for a CEO happened for me um, in as much as the company is headquartered in New Jersey, and I live in Virginia, which are by road. They're not next door to each other. No, they're, five, they're a good five hours apart. The You know, that doesn't make my, doesn't make it going to the office impossible. But what I'm not there doing is I'm not there day to day. So and actually, this leads nicely into the ship analogy. You know, the captain can go to bed at night and actually get some sleep because he knows there are certain heads of department, certain senior watchmen, or or you know um, senior figures that can take some of that slack and that can filter some of it and, and conduct some of those roles. Um, and he has trust in those those senior NCOs or. You know more junior officers or whatever, and that is very much how I run my company. I'm a, the work-life balance comes as a byproduct of of being geographically removed. So I'm not getting bothered for what brand of coffee we have in the break room, or even if the coffee machine breaks. We need a coffee machine. That's a given. Go go fix it. Come back to me if if you want to buy a four thousand dollar coffee machine, but. Beyond that, go get it done. I, I don't want to hear it. Um, so there's there's delegation there. And again, that's set parameters. The logistics guy has a spending limit that is vastly more than he used to have. I don't need to hear if he needs to spend 20 bucks. Don't need to hear it. Um, you know, so he has a spending limit. Other people have, you know, if you can set parameters, call me if this value exceeds this, or if, you know, there are certain parameters you can set within the business um, to be called on. And so I like to think that that that's frees up the bandwidth for the true uh, calamities. I mean, we, we deal in calamities, the very nature of break-fix. Um, I had mentioned in a, in a, in a in an address I'd made to my company, we, we were a company that was designed for calamities, normally other people's. <laughs> um, so... You know, that's how we uh, we kind of went into the pandemic, is is that, uh, that you know, we were designed for this. We were designed for calamity. And, and here we are.
0: I'm not saying, you know, nobody nobody knew what 2020 was going to look like. Yeah. Right? I mean, I just wrote a blog post this morning, and it was centered around how this time last year, everyone was preparing their 2020 vision. Right? Mm. Everyone mm. called it the 2020 vision. Mm. Um, yeah. If only we had the vision to see what was sure. really around the corner.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, I mean,
0: yeah. what do what does what does the world look like from when you where you're sitting out in Virginia? You know, um, is the world a little rosier than it is in New Jersey? Is there, you know, what what does it look like that's going to happen in the next few months as far as business and and personal? Yeah. I
1: suppose. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. It's it's going to be difficult here in the states and it's already um you know it's not necessarily my opinion it's fairly well publicized it's already a difficult situation um the the management day-to-day hasn't been great but this is where the vast geography and the disparities between the regions of the united states are going to come into play getting out of any shape of lockdown and restrictions is going to be state by state area by area and it's going to be complicated as it is in the uk I, i you know london is not is not Birmingham, is not Manchester, so you know. But it's going to be difficult, and, and, it's, and you can't turn around to the people of uh, Southwest England if, if numbers are low there and lock them down just the same as you would in in a city Manchester. So, it's uh, it's 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 going to be difficult unraveling all of this, um, in a real context for business people like myself and and and, and yourself. I think there's going to be you know diplomacy and discretion needed when you contact someone and say hey are you ready for me to come and visit we need to talk about next year or you know whatever contract renewal you might be discussing uh you know you're going to need to tread carefully because i might be willing to jump on a plane at my end because virginia is looking pretty good and and fly off out to wherever the person receiving me might think I'm absolutely out of my mind.
0: <laughs> Look, we've got we've got four officers now. Uh, we've got people across four different countries as a result. Um, you know, we had somebody in here the other day, completely fine, not an issue. We, mm. we, you know, social distance. We've got about half capacity in here full, and uh, not a problem. And then I had a phone call with another customer an hour later who hasn't left their house their house
1: since March. Mm, 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 mm.
0: Right. How do you come back from that? Uh, I mean, yeah. just from a, a mental level at all. I mean, obviously, you, you're, you're almost booking the trend because you were effectively a remote CEO by default. Sure. Which is, which is advantageous. But I think it's going to take a lot um, for people to come back from this. I mean, how do you, do you do anything in your company as far as people are concerned to help them through this period, as it were?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, we, uh, we took some human resources div- uh, advice about three, three months ago. Um, just some best practices, some little things you can do. Um, I've had my office manager, if you will, for, for the person that would normally come in contact with those subjects coming into the offices. Um, she's had a two-weekly program where she checks in with people working at home. Um, I'm acutely aware because I'm, you know, because I've been doing this for so long that working from home is not for everybody. Some people hate it. Some people don't have the, uh, the physical setup, you know, be it, be it children or, you know, lack of space or whatever the, you know, the, the, whatever the reasons. And, and, and as a leader, we have to be sensitive to that. Not everybody has their own dedicated office. You know, it worries me, but, certain employees might be quite literally working off their couch. That's not good either. So we've really, um, we, we implemented a, a biweekly program of checking in with people working at home by myself. Uh, I'm, I'm actually just calling around now every single employee, not just the ones that uh, come into the office, just checking in, seeing how they're doing. Um, we sent out small uh, gift gift cards for a local New Jersey restaurant chain in absence of our Christmas lunch. Um, I wrote a card for each employee that would have come to a Christmas lunch and said, you know, we can't be together right now, but here, here, here's lunch, you know, whatever, whenever you're ready or, you know, for takeout or whatever. So I, I, I think that it, it has to be acknowledged. Now that, that, I think that's the, the takeaway from it. It has to be acknowledged and that all comes with looking after your people. Um, you know, there uh, a very early mentor of mine in the navy uh, sat us all down as a class and said, uh, "You know, you've got one job as an officer in the navy, and that's look after our ships, because those are our biggest assets. But conversely, look out and look after our people, because without the people, the ships can't go anywhere. Quite literally, they can't leave a wall. So, you know, um, you know that, that 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 holds true for business. You know, look after the business and look after." The people that work within the business there was something that i came
0: out with completely randomly in a conversation with somebody recently and it was it rolled straight off the tongue but actually it means an awful lot in terms of how we do things and it sounds like we do things similar is it's empathy over EBITDA
1: yeah absolutely absolutely that's a great that's a a, a great phrase yeah yeah
0: every business in the tech space we've probably you know yourselves like like we have we've probably all seen a little bit of a bump at some point uh, trending upwards uh, sure. during this period but overall you can say it's not been a great period of time for anyone um no. so if you're putting the priority on the people which is clearly what you're doing and some of the things you just said there are you know mirror reflection of what we do as well which is fantastic you know you've got to move forward with that in mind and yeah. some people take as you said working from home easier we've had people who have been far more productive at home than they ever were in the office yeah we have people that are polar opposite and have you know their their results have come to almost nothing yeah yep. you've got to balance that by going or well, your performance right now is not a reflection of who you truly are so are we gonna all we'll go back to the office do you think
1: yeah you i know? uh <laughs> yeah i I'm, I'm banking on it we're actually going to move into a new office space in march march or april uh yeah, in new, new in jersey uh, so I'm banking on the fact that you know we will be back in the office as yeah. a as a as a unit. Um, I don't think it'll ever go away. Uh, I think certain trends have been accelerated. The work from home trend, you know, particularly here in the states, work from home was viewed as a a privilege uh, to be earned. Uh, some bosses here in the states, I think, you know, uh, s- systemically shied away from it and and didn't trust employees even the federal government. I mean, you know, the federal government, I I was shocked to learn as an employee of any agency in the feds, you have to work a year before as a probation before you earn the right to request work from home. Wow. And that doesn't matter what level you go in at. I have a a friend who went in at a very senior G level as a, a, you know, a a very senior lawyer, took a job with the, uh, with a federal agency and was told that they had to work a year before they could essentially be evaluated and request to work from home. Well, you know, the pandemic came away and swept those rules away, Uh, you know, uh, all about legacy stuff. Um, One of the things I did very early on in my tenure, uh, you know, once I took control of the company was review our vacation policy Mm. over here in the States, unlike Europe, vacation was just miserably almost non-existent almost non-existent you know quite quite senior and productive employees with two maybe three weeks of vacation in a year <laughs> tell that to your average frenchman who takes all of august off <laughs> for and that's, starters and that's what we've done
0: is we've taken the best of british effectively from our, yeah. our contracts and we've we've laid that on top of our contracts across all of our different countries yeah so everybody has very generous, because Britain's very generous, most would, most would agree with some of those terms. You know, I think you're quite right with the whole working from home being seen as a privilege. There's an organization that, uh, that I know of who pre-pandemic uh, was never comfortable with anybody working from home mm. because if you're working from home and I can't see you, are you really working? Mm. Um, and I'm aware that the CEO had driven to an employee's house, parked outside the house to make sure that employee was at home working. Wow, and yeah, you know, you've you've got to look at things from a purview of well, actually, if I'm employing you, I must trust you. Otherwise, yeah. why have I employed you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and and then you have to question your own decisions as a as a leader. A hundred percent. Yeah, what I've noticed is that there is a a wider spread in working hours now. You know, a, a sales administrator who might have worked you know traditionally nine to four or nine to five or whatever the hours you know you might now get a, a flurry of emails at 7 30 in the morning and that's okay and, and you might not get any anything until 9 30 10 o'clock because guess what she's got kids at home that she needs to get set up in front of their virtual school or whatever yeah. um and conversely you know whereas normally she'd put her coat on and leave the office at at, at, at five o'clock or you know going home time you know 7 30 in the evening there might be another flurry of emails and again that's okay um, there has
0: to be flexibility and adaptability on both sides
1: yeah Definitely. yeah
0: you you yeah. be flexible for us we'll be flexible for you because at some point it's going to be high and lows you know, The volume it goes down
1: low. i mean you really did touch on it that, that that it goes to your initial hiring practices the you know the, with a view to things like trust and integrity uh you know potentially above professional competence you know professional competence counts for nothing if the person is is quite frankly a slacker and and yeah. doesn't want to work or can't work or struggles to work unsupervised you know so uh yeah i think it comes down to your you know the the, the old adage sort of hire slowly and fire quickly <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think almost to a, to a degree, you've almost got to freeze that mentality a little bit whilst we're in this remote working yes. situation, Yeah, you know, but yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, under normal circumstances. And that's something that a lot of business owners, CEOs, or even senior level people are not very good at firing when you need to fire somebody for sure. And that for can be firing sure. employees, or let's be honest, it can be firing clients at the same time. It can
1: absolutely be that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, the organizations that are thriving right now, the ones without churn, because the last thing you need right now is is churn in in your labor force. Um, you know, it, if you can somewhat take that for granted, or at least know that as a constant, that your 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 employees are happy, and then and you're not at the risk of losing people. You know, I think that helps set a steady playing field for getting getting through all this. So. There's a couple of
0: organizations that we have in common and we can Mm. dive into those, Mm. Uh, Service Industry Association, SIA, and obviously the ASCDI as well. Yeah. How did both of those come about for you?
1: Um, Participation, uh, the participation level, uh, we've, been members of SIA and ASCDI for, for a long while. For, Do you want to explain what
0: the difference is between the two as well? Yeah, very
1: much so. Um, SIA is a very service-orientated organization, uh, service orientated organization, service industries, uh, SIA, service internet. Clues <laughs> in the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the clues in the name is absolutely. Uh, but very much traditionally third-party maintainers. Now that is opened in scope. Um, no one can afford to be necessarily a pure TPM anymore. Um, there are a lot of other service providers on, on around the fringes of the membership. ASCDI was, came out of, from a different angle, came out of the, uh, what used to be called the gray market space, um, is no longer called that because it's been somewhat, it's now called the secondary market. And they really championed, they have a long storied history of championing the reuse of machines from the manufacturers, legal reuse of machines, mm-hmm. um, and it really stemmed from the early days of IBM, where IBM would like to decommission or end of service life a machine and and scrap it. And, you know, this was back in, quite literally back in the sort of 70s and 80s and the, the boom economy of the, the late 80s, and organizations, customers went along with it. Well, the tide and the winds have all blown in ascdi's favor the reuse recycling upcycling uh secondary resell of equipment not only makes good business sense now but also makes sound environmental sense and ascdi has been at the forefront of it lobbying for regulation change um raising public awareness of the secondary market and its advantages and its limitations you know they uh they've worked tirelessly for as say broker-centric, they've they've worked tirelessly in the counterfeit and uh, anti-piracy realms. Uh, They've worked with uh, the US Customs uh, and Border Control to put uh, measures in place for anti-counterfeit goods and how uh, brokers and dealers and even maintainers like us can avoid buying counterfeit parts. Um, and what to do if counterfeit does cross your line. How, you know, how do you quarantine that piece and, and report it to the right people? So they've been um, – they, the, the ASCDI distinguishes itself because it was a – really, it came out of a transaction, transaction-based network. They distinguish, distinguished themselves with a code of ethics that they may make every member sign up to, uh, and that is really the sort of hallmark of their, their, their ethos. Um, a different organisation than SIA. SIA, as I said, was mostly service companies, but there's a lot of cross-pollination. Is I believe there's actually about thirty-five percent common membership oh, between wow. the two. Okay. Um, and I think both have a, a, a role to play and a, and a you know a place to play. Um, so m- really, my 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 involvement with them came as uh, at first just sitting in the conference room and showing up and. And, and I liked the networking. I was working from home, still from Virginia for a New Jersey-based company. So the the out and about, the meeting people, I, I saw it. I mean, I came into this sector really as a new as a, as a newbie. I didn't know anything about computer, uh, you know, servers. I call them computers now, but servers, storage, uh, information architecture. I really knew nothing, and, and those types of get togethers and web before webinars, but you know, those, the involvement in those associations helped me learn about our, our our industry and, and, you know, the subject matter, um, they they host good content. You know, there's always something to be learned and that's even before you, you spend some time with individuals, you know, meet people like yourself and swap stories. I think from a, and then that's really graduated. Once I took a leadership role within Trident, Then you look for commonality amongst other other business leaders, and you've you know made friends with other business owners, and there's lots to share there as as we're doing now. So it 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 sort of the involvement with the organisation grew organically. Started out at the uh, sort of salesman broker level and ended up now with with uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a leadership position with both associations um and and be and, and be able to to work with and, and learn from some of the best leaders in our sector so it's good
0: so I mean it's really interesting because obviously that's where you and I met for the first time was yeah. through SIA um and there's a a legendary yeah almost legendary um how, how would we call it? It's a legendary piece of content that circulates in the SIA. And I wonder where the origins of the uh, Steve <laughs> Studley show are. Where's this come from?
1: <laughs> where does it come from? Um, it actually came, the dark secret is this. There was a, a cancellation one day, a very short notice cancellation. So a gaping hour in the program. And uh, Claudia Benson, who was the executive director, Director at the time of the uh, of, of the association came flying in the room, looking frantically around the around the, the the conference room, you know, while while the content was going on, caught my eye, and I guess I was chipper, full of beans, three cups of coffee in, you know, energized by the the vibe of the association clasped me on the shoulder and said, come with me. I need to talk to you about something. And so, uh, uh, uh <laughs> I think in about 20 minutes we, we had, I had, I'd been volunteered or coerced or, or, you know, uh, and, and dreamt up a content and format, grabbed some guests together. And the first one was uh, quite slapstick. The next have been uh, fairly a little bit more polished, but what mm-hmm. we do is, um, the whole vision was uh, uh, a talk show host to, 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 to get away from the traditional panel, to get away from the tra- traditional uh, uh, interview or presentation and really use the talk show format to interview and interact with various leaders uh, of, in our sector. Um, and at the time, um, or at least for, for, for the second and third one, there had been some big changes in our industry, too. There had been a lot of M&A activity, uh, which was exciting for two reasons. It created, if you will, titans of our sector. They created uh, uh, big companies, the likes of which smaller companies wanted to hear from wanted to hear what they're doing it's relevant now what a 650 million dollar player in our industry is doing it's relevant to us we we need to keep you know and if they say they see a trend well we might pay attention so it was my job to tease those tidbits out of um and we've had various ceos of, of those types of companies we've had ron alva staffer at service express stan pilot from uh from evernex uh, so we you know it, it was my job to tease The tidbits out unofficially or otherwise and 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 you know see if we can get the you know what they're thinking what they're looking at you know it is
0: a conference panel is always difficult to you know keep the interest right because a lot of the times they are scripted and I remember um I mean obviously the Las Vegas Studley show was great but then I remember the one we did in um Toronto. That's right. Yeah, and you know, you you got up out of the audience. You interrupted the current speaker, (laughs) took the microphone (laughs) off him, and you had uh, myself, Dwight, and was it Mike? I think you had come. I believe it was. Yeah, Mike Kelly of uh, Caltech. Yeah, that's right. And you know, very much, you you had an idea in mind, but it was an unscripted conversation. And like you say, it's pulling out those little tidbits of what you want to get. Yeah. Yeah, um, the industry to be aware of ultimately right and, and in, yeah that
1: little session is it's really based around energy and and, yeah. and the game the the talk show format allows us uh, in in the in the vegas sessions we've done little icebreaker type games that much the same as yeah. jimmy fallon or or not to put myself in those ranks but the same format you know um, if, if, if we could have a, if I could have a band and a musical interlude, I would. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you would. <laughs> the, the, the budget doesn't stretch that far. <laughs> I'd like to discuss that at the next board meeting, we, right? We did have a music quiz, which was fun. We had a, uh, a music quiz one year, which was, was kind of fun. Bro- broke the ice, set, as you said, a very informal tone, but then got people talking for the rest of the session, which was good. So yeah, that's, that's my, uh, little slot that, that, uh, will hopefully perhaps come back i enjoy doing it i, I draw energy from it um oh, I, I hope we get another one i do yeah i do you, too i you
0: touched on it a second ago talking about how you were pulling out little tidbits from you know titans of industry and so forth um with m&a activity yeah is Trident privately owned what's the situation
1: we are we're privately held which is um sole ownership which actually is yours truly um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're sat tight. Um, I, my personal stance, and this is not a secret to, you know, th- there has been a lot of throthy M- MA activity and a lot of approaches to businesses like ourselves to, to roll up and amalgamate with, with, you know, the bigger, uh, private equity held organizations. It's my personal belief that Trident, is, isn't yet the best company it can be. I, I, am not saying that, you know, I'm going to start my own empire or anything like that, but I do believe I can, I can wring some more juice out of, out of Trident. I think, I think it can shine. There's some polishing to do, still to do. It's come a long way from in four years from, you know, six and a half million to nearly 9 million in in four years. That's, that's a good trajectory as, as, as Ron Alvestafer, I'll quote him would say that's up and to the right. Um, you know that that that's going the right way um profits have came with it everything's trending in the right direction but i believe i can ring a few more knots out of this out of this boat you know i ring a few more miles per hour out of it um until i'm until i'm done and from a personal level um i'm not ready to retire just yet i'm i'm too I was young. gonna say is is there an exit plan in mind yeah. <laughs> well, let's just see what we'll, we'll see. We'll reevaluate where we are. And I, I don't know. I hate to put a time frame on it and I hate to put a dollar value on it. Uh, I think it'll become apparent when the company not necessarily plateaus, but when getting more advancement from the company becomes difficult or, or slows down, um, i'm a little less worried on the personal end you know that, that i think you know that, that i i'm someone that enjoys uh a, a lot of hobbies i keep myself busy um if i'm not outdoors hunting and fishing i'm you know i can keep myself busy indoors in, in my workshop or wherever so uh you know i'm not worried about that but and I, I but i hate to put a time frame or a dollar value on it it's uh we'll'll we'll, we'll see now is not the time i'm having fun the company is progressing and you know i think
0: I think that's important to to realize because <clears throat> when people are talking about private equity and MA activity in the industry, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, it's just a quick financial exit. Well, if you're enjoying what you do and you believe, like you say, there's there's more to go at in terms of growing the business and everything it's, you can achieve with that, why would you want to get out so quickly?
1: Yeah, it's heady stuff. It's heady stuff, it's intoxicating. You know, there's a lot of dry powder as the as the investors call it. Mm-hmm. you know, being stashed around the, 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 the bazaars. There's a lot of willing investors and the threshold for investment has crept downwards. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly in as little as five or six years ago, uh, you know, companies wouldn't look at anyone sub 10 million. It was just, you know, to, to a quote a, a good colleague of ours, uh, Dave Cummins, you know, um, he he it was it was too much of a heavy lift it was all the same work with with less return to come into a, a sub10 million dollar revenue company and 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 look at any kind of merger or acquisition what's happened in our space and it's been exciting is that all the companies of target size 20 30 40 are, are all rolled up they've all been bought out so that's left us little guys at the end and, and the attentions have come downwards. And, 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 and that's exciting. It's heady stuff. Um, I think it depends on the individual. I think there's no right or wrong answer. I really don't. I, I think it depends on the individual, the company as well, um, where the company is in its life cycle. Uh, you know, um, you know are, are most of the key employees, are they at the end of their careers and ready to, drop off or you know or is it in in the case of uh, you know your organization is it a young organization does it still have energy you know you've got all your careers ahead of you that can factor in as well and and also (laughs) you know this 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 sort of one-time exit stuff unless you're a serial entrepreneur and there there are people you know who'll just have have the next idea tucked in their back pocket and they'll go and do something different they always wanted to do xyz and off Mm -hmm. they'll go um, unless you're a serial entrepreneur, I don't count myself. I, I'm an op- opportunistic entrepreneur. Um, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And, 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 you know, the money seems enticing. They are large sums. They talk, They can be large sums, and the multipliers are, are there. But, you know, when you put that money in the bank, and that's got to last you for the rest of your life, uh, you know, you throw in what, what appears to be a demographic trend of all, us all living longer. You know where? where <laughs> you know there, there, there was a time when ten million dollars was a lot of money.
0: <laughs> and it's not well. It's not to say ten million is not a lot of money.
1: Right. However, right. however, yeah. You know yeah. quite
0: rightly as you talked about before. You, yeah,
1: and so so it depends on circumstances.
0: You, you can't stay away from the sea, obviously, because you're you're fishing. Nah, yeah. That's something yeah. you're very passionate about, and I'm sure there are ways to spend ten million in the fishing world. Well. <laughs> yeah. Just a bigger a bigger boat, right? <laughs>
1: yeah i'm sure i'm sure yeah 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 um but yeah it's a it, it the, I, there is a thing i'd like to talk about with the mna yeah. um and this was particularly true it started 2 or 3 years ago and i don't think has gone away is what i termed as the legitimization of third party third party took a huge boon from the roll ups of sms into curvature uh you know, all this mopping up of, of, of smaller companies and creating these larger entities, these larger entities bring a credibility. They just do the, you know, they, they have blue chip customers that, that, you know, they, they, they can bring to the table. The fact, the very fact that the PE industry has been willing to invest as heavily as they have in our sector and would like to invest more in our sector, that sends a message to potential customers that might have looked at third party there, there were some dark days of third-party service you know I put an exact time frame on it but certainly you know 15 20 years ago there were some shady practices going on um, it was a little bit bodget and legget if we you know if I can borrow a British vernacular you know it was a little because bit it might
0: still allow you to use British terms
1: yeah so. yeah you know and it was it was very much corner garage and like a corner garage and it was a bit hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think the, the growth of the companies and all the good standard practices and the best practices and, and the resources they bring to the sector has improved all of us because smaller guys like myself go to the seminars. We learn from Stan pilot. We learn from Ron Alvastaffer who are more than willing to share their best practices and their standards and their ideas on on what this sector should look like and and in, and, and again to quote ron ron Alverstaff, you know he, he's the first to say we want everybody to be successful which Absolutely. is amazing it's, it's it i mean i'm not saying the the, the whole thing is a, a massive love fest but it's it, it's it's a great vibe to have in a in a, in a sector you know, where where the big guys are willing the the willing everybody on to be successful and want people to be credible and successful. So I, I think the, the that's been a byproduct of the MA. Now I shan't name any names, but uh, the you know, now there's a worry that perhaps some entities might have gotten too big or that the integrations might have got too complex. Uh, the purchase of entities that have yet been Yet to be integrated from their previous acquisition, uh, you know that that mm, I hope my and it's my profound hope that that doesn't leach through to customers, because if it does, we could all be facing the 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 the, the backlash of that. You know the, the exact reverse side of everything I spoke about. If if some of the larger entities don't keep performing on the ground for the customers and don't keep standards up that could look really bad for all of us
0: um, well it, it can take the focus away from third party being a viable option yeah, to, yeah. whoa okay well if the yeah. big guys again are getting
1: it wrong it would only downs, take the an, guys an, are getting it really bad. yeah yeah I'm, I, I'm 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 hypothesizing but you know it would only take a couple of blue chip companies to get burned in you know bad service situations or non uh, you know failure of delivery or failure of resolution or whatever that might be to taint you know the 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 current trend which is good that third uh, that, that, that large end users are looking at third party as a viable alternative and they are you know it's it, it makes financial sense it makes environmental sense you know, ripping a server out and quite literally throwing it away after three years is no longer a good practice. Um, It's just not, it's not disposable technology. It can always be reused. It has a longer life than the manufacturers would have you believe. And, and from an environmental point of view, throwing the damn thing in an e-waste dumpster is, is a disaster. So, you know, uh, looking forward, I, I hope that some of these larger acquisitions and, and, integrations let's say that's the that's the problem i think it's not so much the financial transactions those are well storied and and you know they those guys know what they're doing it's the integrations of these you know of the large entities and getting them to perform as they should so we've
0: got dave cummins coming on here as well so that yeah great yeah 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 yeah. because you know the guy that knows a lot about a lot of things right
1: yeah Um, so the open-ended question is how big is too big in a in an independent maintainers space you know how, how big do you become before you start behaving like the worst side of an OEM?
0: Well, this is the thing. Third-party maintenance—we walk around all saying roughly the same thing, which is we'll save you, you know, X percent on OEM, you know, maintenance. We all say a very, very similar phrase mm-hmm. there. Mm. But when you are at such a size where your overheads are significantly more than than ours, does that price point still work? You know. Do,
1: yeah, and it might not, and but I think it's it's also I think it's getting away from the obvious. We're able to pass on the discounts to our customers, and so that's why that makes an automatic sales lead, if you will, you know, or a talk track for for sales. But I think it it's worth digging deeper into why we can do that, and as you said, the the the, the reduced overheads, the 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 uh, responsiveness of the business. Uh, The fact that things can be done just a little bit more efficiently sometimes. There is an efficiency to scale, but there's also an efficiency to a la carte or bespoke or, 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 you know, responsive situations. Mm. And I think the strength of TPM has been exactly that, you know, that, that it's the speedboat versus the oil tanker, right? you know, and a customer asks you to do a 360, you do a 360 in the speedboat, but well, the oil tanker struggles to do that. Or, and, 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 you know, that comes also just flat out comes from mentality too. You know, we, we make a fine living on, and, I, and there's no need to even name any OEMs because they all do it in different ways. You know, their business is to build and produce computer equipment and sell it to customers. That is their core business. That That's what they do. That's what Dell or IBM does. And, and you know, sometimes that that leeches through to their mentality when they look around to an end user with a, let's just say, four or five-year-old computer that needs some form of help. And they say, we can't help you. That's end of service life. Buy a new one is essentially the message they're, they're handing out. And third party has a place to say, hey, Mr. Customer, you want to keep that thing running for another five years? Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out with that. So, you know, I, I I think, yeah, it's, uh, you know, smaller entities and, and doesn't, and small is a, is a, is a, is a variable term as well, Mm. you know, but a third party makes a good living on not being the OEM. That's, that's just a universal truth. Now we can play nicely with OEMs. We can work with them. We can partner with them even. And we do, you know, in various guises and forms, but, uh, you know, uh, you take a look at Dell. This is a known fact. You know, Dell don't sell directly to small businesses. They employ distributors. Yeah. Well, and really, in a service sense, there's no difference. A third party maintainer is a, is can be in certain instances a service distributor. Same exactly. nimble, you know, uh, nimble uh, business model. I think the next,
0: I think the next three years are going to be tremendously interesting. <laughs> Mm. we've seen that roll up that integration um, and some of them at great speed as well. Yes. I think it's going to be very interesting to see, because there are still, I don't want to say there's a lot of us out there, but there are enough providers of third-party maintenance out there still where we're not even tapping, you know, anywhere near the market. Absolutely. And, you know, you're over that side of the pond. We specialize in Europe uh, and APAC and that's, you know, where our strengths lie and to cross over from the uk to the us i'm sorry only the beatles ever managed to do that one well right? um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you've got to play to your strengths and, and where you where you are best uh, performing at the end of the day so are you growing in a particular vertical what how you know where where is the growth of trident is it a specific sector yeah
1: that's that's a, that's a good question we've we've really stayed within our sandbox we haven't had to venture out and do anything crazy The expansion really has come within uh the same verticals that we've been involved with and then actually distilled down to the same customers we've gone Mm -hmm. sideways with some major customers and just doing more now that creates concerns that creates con business concentrations um that i you know in the past i've very much worried about um but you know, I, I have my eyes open, but not everybody sees it that way. I, I had I was had a conversation with with my uh, banking provider, and they looked at the books, and I sort of pointed out what I thought was my concentration, my my vulnerability, and they said, "Well, yeah, but a, a, an account of that size, it's all different business units. There's no one person or one thing that would pull the plug and make all of that disappear in one go. Now, you you could be on the outs. There's there's no doubt about that." but you know when when customers get that large it tends to be with diff- different departments and business units of that customer that run yeah. somewhat independently so so you're, you're not as follow. vulnerable as you think
0: yeah the customer can fire from one department effectively
1: Sure, service but you've, you've got a or one role or one technology or something you know and it, same in uh, reverse it can continue <laughs> to expand and grow exactly so we've seen a lot of growth uh, sideways with current customers and, and and certainly within the sectors as well um the gaming sector has been very good to us and we understand the gaming sector there are some nuances in 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 the the way they provide services to states and casinos and other gaming companies that you know, we've been able to learn and apply, and so, and that, that and that's somewhat true for the financial services, the financial sector as well. You know, hmm. um, uh, banks and 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 financial service companies have have certain ways of working, and and you know, if you can learn that and, and spread in that, in that in that in that vertical, you do quite you can do quite well. You can stick around.
0: Things like financial industry, you know, the financial sectors. Is- tremendously difficult to get into because you've got to be Mm. able to provide that value above and beyond yeah Yeah. that's a real niche to be in and as far as the gaming I can only assume that you know when when we're having text messages at three o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas you're playing poker I can only (laughs) imagine that is some form of business development activity
1: right (laughs) well the irony is I actually um, I'm not allowed to play any of the state lotteries as a as a, a subcontractor of, of most of the lottery providers around the U.S. I, I, I don't play the lottery and I don't actually gamble. Apart from playing poker, I don't gamble at all when I'm in Vegas. <laughs> uh, I've always said if they, if they played Texas Hold'em poker in gas stations, that's where I'd like to hang out. Uh, indifferent about the casino, uh, I, I like playing poker. Yeah, that's a another hobby of mine that's time-consuming enough to... Uh...
0: <laughs> so clearly... Uh... Clearly your whole life has been plain sailing, to steal another boat analogy there. But nah. I mean, have you, have, has anything ever happened since you joined Trident that was, um, you know, something that was a, a real story to tell? Something that was, you know, you would not believe this happened.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I've seen some crazy things in the federal, I'm going to stay broad here, so as not to implicate anybody, but in the federal, city, and local government space, and I remember walking into a data center with as a a fairly junior salesman at Trident with the service manager, and we had signed up. It was an IBM box, a a big half-cabinet behemoth of a thing. And we had signed it up and the service manager really wasn't happy about this. You know, engineers need to be pushed and into new technologies, but this had came as part of a, a, a much friendlier list and we'd taken it on and he really wasn't happy that we'd taken this thing on. And it was worth quite a lot of money. It was it was a, over $100,000 a year in service revenue alone. Um, so we, we went in with the... Information architect was his title. Uh, he gave us a walk around the data center. We audited the stuff that we had taken on. And right at the end was this massive IBM box. And the service manager looked at me, cut me the look of death again, <laughs> that he'd been doing all morning. You know, he, he, he was really concerned and, and sort of nodded in the direction of that box and said to our host, well, tell me about that. What's going on with this thing? and the guy much to my relief reached behind the cabinet pulled out the 230 plug and said oh this thing oh this hasn't been plugged in for years and I, uh, <laughs> and in disbelief i looked at the end user and said but it's on the contract and and the end user said well yeah yeah but if if we take it off we'll lose the money out of the budget so we just leave it on there <laughs> Wow! <laughs> I, I about leapt into my service manager's arms and hugged and kissed him. <laughs> he was only mildly impressed. He realized I'd gotten lucky. <laughs> mm. uh-huh. My other, my other uh, small lesson very quickly was uh, the first time I ever tried to do an equipment sale for the company. Uh, I had a customer and we don't generally sell product. That's not our not our niche, we try and stay away from it. It keeps us uh, compatible with other equipment vendors who resell our services. And uh, I tried this customer just begged and begged and begged. They needed to buy a server. They had an open PO with us. So it was just easy. He needed this thing, he needed this thing. And you know selling product is a, is a business. You know you need someone that's done it before and can pay attention to the various components. And I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I left a component out. And in the very early days of my employee, this was a I don't know three or four 000, five thousand dollar server, and I I ended up costing the company seventy three dollars. And clearly, I've never forgot that, <laughs> <laughs> and I've never sold product since. <laughs>
0: well, the next time, the next time you get a paycheck, just deduct that
1: seventy three dollars, will it? Right, 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 right. I, that's clearly stuck with me over the last twelve years. So. Uh... <laughs> So you, you stick to what you're good at, I suppose is the, yes. the takeaway
0: from it. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of exactly what you said about your business and how it runs today, right? You know, you've yeah. got those markets yeah. that you play in and you play in them very nicely. Yeah. Yeah. You've meant you've mentioned Ron a few times, obviously, the CEO of Service Express. Mm. Um, yeah, is there anyone in your capacity today that you would not so much say as a mentor, but you know, that you look up to particularly in terms of, you know, the you know, this is someone that I admire for business purposes, life purposes.
1: So anybody oh my goodness yeah i i i yeah that it heck that's a, that's a that's almost a second episode <laughs> um you know because it, 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 i've met so many good characters i mean, but stand out ron alverstaffer i do i do uh value his his mentorship and and, and friendship if you will mm-hmm. um he has a great story was a school teacher in michigan um, join Service Express when it literally was three men, a, a van and a dog, you know, and they, and they did at the start, at least they got one good customer in a Michigan, Michigan-based large enterprise. They got one good customer and they did what they did very well. And they spread within that customer sound familiar. Yeah. Uh, and that was their foundation to their business. And, you know, I guess, uh, you know, 10, 10, 12 years later, or, you know, however long it's been for them, they, they're, they're now a, a fantastic company. And, and when you you meet Ron, you know, he's a passionate people person. Um, and I can, I can empathize with that. I can, I can learn from that. Um, and they have a great facility and they invest a lot in their people. And so I, you know, why try and reinvent the wheel when you see someone doing so well with those practices? So Ron is in the forefront um, there are other people. Um, Tom York is, a, is, a, is a, uh, a long-standing player in the industry. I, I respect him because he's been on both sides of the fence. He was a hardcore 20-year veteran with IBM, managed IBM's global services division, which was essentially the outsourcing of service to the third-party industry and then flipped over and, and, and has, has taken various leadership roles in the third party. So, you know, he's, he has a true handle on on how this industry came about and, and where it's leading sharp as attack um, and, and fun to be around as well. So, you know, Tom York is, 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 is a, is a great mentor. Uh, the other name I would throw in there is Jerry Edinger of uh, CSDP. Now that's an interesting, you know, he's a, 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 a service provider to the service industry. Mm. Um, but what's interesting with Jerry is he's a clearly a good business, businessman and when you do business with him be it purchasing his product or otherwise you get Jerry in a can and yeah. all the bit and all the advice and and, and 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 experience that he can he can sort of turn your direction so you know I've had the pleasure of serving with those guys on the SIA board um, they 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 work very hard and, and, you know, you can learn a lot from them, especially as sort of younger guys like, like ourselves. Um, The other guy I'll sort of throw in the, in, in, in the mix just because he works so, hard and has a tireless work ethic and is sort of charming and, and amiable with it is uh, joe marion the head of as well he said he was a head of ascdi ascdi has a structure where joe works for it full time and is essentially the dynamo the, the engine of ascdi the board obviously then supervises those efforts um, but joe marion works tirelessly and and is passionate his, his father was an ibm uh dealer sold oh, some of the first non-ibm mainframe equipment to a company, so it was essentially the one of the first uh, uh, third-party, uh, secondary market IBM dealers in the country back in the '80s, I believe. Or you know, and so Joe comes from that stable and has worked in the sector ever since, and and get, just works his tail off for, for the good of others really um so yeah i'll throw his name in there as well and i think you know we'll, we'll, we'll draw a line under that but yeah there's a there's a there's a lot of good people in our sector um there really is and there's a lot of good things being done
0: all right cool i've i mean i, I never go by this list that yeah. really, I've, I've got a researcher that gives me like your whole life story i never go i never read what's on there anyway because i know you anyway <laughs> but yeah so obviously we're labelling it like i said the tpm podcast because that that obviously
1: has you know speaks yep. words to it's a very clever acronym and, and and i'll be damned if we don't borrow that for for, for the next conference <laughs> but,
0: but it is right i was literally sat there going oh, do you know what i've been on so many podcasts i've got people telling me all the time i needed to start a podcast and i'd registered mm. a podcast account maybe like two years ago I was mm. never with it. and i was i was sat at home and i was like tpm 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 what do i care about all oh, people mostly yeah The technology space and we play
1: people markets right yeah yeah, so, yeah that's very cool it would be it'd be fascinating it'd be interesting that then and i think that's the compelling thing about what you've got going on is it is fascinating there are questions to be answered there are there are, there are uh, there are things to be explored you keep on keep hold of that one because that one could serve as a, a bit of a brand for you in the in, in, in the in, in the future i think that's very good
0: all right, very cool. right i'm gonna let you crack on with your day
1: Yes, uh, mate. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It really has. It's thanks right, for the opportunity, and uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure. It's been quite quite a lot of fun. All right. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Okay. Cheers, Sean. Bye bye.